for just your amazing love, Lord. Lord, we thank you because you are gracious. We thank you because you are merciful. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have your word that reminds us of this, Lord. Lord, we know that your word is living. Your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that your word comes alive as we read it, and we pray that as we read it today, Lord, that it would accomplish its perfect will within our lives, that we would allow it to take life within our hearts and that we would live it out. Lord, we give you praise, glory, and honor, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we go through, uh, through Peter, we find ourselves today in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 4. Uh, but uh, as you're turning your Bibles to verse 4 of chapter 2, I do want to remind you of, of something maybe your parents used to share with you. And as they used to tell you as kids, or do you remember this, that, uh, that that's what you get, that that's what we get for the things that we do, right? And we usually heard these words when we did something wrong, or, or we heard these words when we did something that was good. But whatever it was, the message was clear. And the message was that we receive exactly what we deserved. And today, as we, as we are going through these scriptures today, we're going to see it clearly that uh, we do definitely, uh, that people do definitely receive uh, what they deserve. And as we're going to be going through uh, these scriptures, we're going to see that false teachers and their followers will be receiving this, uh, what they deserve, as well as the people of God will receive what they deserve. I do want us to open up to Galatians. And as you open up to Galatians chapter 6, the scriptures have a way of sharing this with us. The scriptures have a way of revealing this to us. And this is the truth of God that he reveals to each and every one of us. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 7, it talks, talks to us about not being deceived, to understand the truth of the gospel, to understand the truth that God, that God uh, of God's word and, and the things that he teaches. It says there in verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And as we see here, when we look at the word corruption, I do want to focus on this one here because it's important as we look at the word in the Greek, it means ruin, it means to perish. And as we go through this, as we read this, it under, it, it's very clear as to what it says, that he who sows of the flesh will of the flesh reap ruin, reap destruction, whatever it may be. So with this, I, as we read this, uh, I do want to get now into 2 Peter, and I want to begin to see what God has to share with all of us. In verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 2, it says there, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot 
who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the world of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. We're going to stop here. I do want to share with you, for those of you that weren't here last week, what we're talking about here is we're talking about false teachers. We're talking about false teachers and their followers. And if we go back to uh, verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2, it talks about a judgment that has not been idle and a destruction that has not slumbered. You know, what Peter is talking about here is talking about these false teachers and their followers, how the, each and every one of them have been declared guilty. And each of them have been declared guilty and they're just awaiting their judgment. It's like those uh, um, uh, criminals that have committed a crime, right? They've been declared guilty and there's, they're in death row just awaiting their execution, awaiting their judgment. And this is what Peter is talking about when it comes to the false teachers and their followers, what Peter is saying, you know what? They're already guilty. Their judgment is not, it, it has not been delayed. Their I mean, their judgment is coming. And as he says there, that their destruction is not slumbered. And so when we think about this, Peter says, you know what? I share this with you because it is the truth. And as Peter shares the truth with us, he wants to reveal through the scriptures three examples to prove this point. He wants us all to walk away knowing that, you know what, the wicked, they're not going to get away with things. The false teachers and their followers, you know what, they're not going to get away with things. They're already guilty and their destruction is at hand and this is what they're going to receive. You know, the first example that Peter gives us is the one that has to do with angels. And let's read verse 4 again to see what he's talking about. He says there, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. We know that we have angels that have been cast down to hell. And as Peter reminds us, they've been delivered into chains of darkness and they've been reserved for judgment. And so as Peter is writing this, he's also reminding us, you know what? The false teacher... Their followers, they're going to receive the same judgment. He's going to judge the wicked. See, one of the things that many people do, and many people are deceived by this. Many people are deceived into thinking that, you know, or I shouldn't say they're deceived into thinking of it, but they believe, and yes, they're deceived, I should say. They're deceived that, into thinking that God is not going to judge them for their unrighteous behavior, that they're going to get away with sin. Many people want to look at God just as being loving and merciful. The fact that he's not going to be judging the wicked. The fact that he's going to excuse their sin. The fact that he's kind and, and, and gracious. And that he's not going to send any people to hell. Did you know that this is a teaching that goes on in the church today? That there is no hell? And that God is not going to send people to hell? See, this is false teaching. And people want to receive this and people want to accept this. Why do they want to receive this and why do they want to accept it? Because they like their sin. They want to have excuse for their sin. They want to continue to walk in sin and they want to, they want to, uh, they want to accept God as a God that is gracious and merciful 
and that he's not going to judge them on their sin. That he's always going to exercise his mercy and he's always going to exercise his graciousness even when it comes to the fact that they want nothing to do with him. See, this gives them a green light to sin and to continue in sin. And we know that many times they twist the scriptures and they say that, yes, God is gracious and God will be gracious towards me. He's a loving and a gracious God. He's a kind God. But one thing that we know is that they don't look at God for who he is, the fact that he is also just. And in being just, he must also judge sin for what it is. One thing we know about people is they like to create their own gods, right? They create this God and they say, my God is not like that, right? My God isn't that type of God. My God doesn't do these things. Well, this is a God that they created in their minds. This is a God that they want to follow. A God that allows them to, to walk in sin, to practice unrighteousness and to practice sin. But one thing we know that God is a just God. And in being a just God, he punishes sin. He has to punish sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. And as we think about this, right, how is it that we can escape this judgment of God? It's by placing our faith in his son, the one who died for your sins, the one that paid the penalty for your sins so that you wouldn't have to receive the judgment of sin, which is death. He died for you. But one thing we know when it comes to God, I want you to understand this about God. He desires that none should perish. I'm going to read something to you from Ezekiel 33, verse 11. It says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. See, it is God's desire that the wicked would also turn from their ways. God doesn't take pleasure. He doesn't say, you know what? I am so glad that that person is dying. I don't want anything to do with him. That, that isn't the, our God that we serve. Our God desires that they should repent, that they should turn from their wicked ways, that they, should, that they would surrender their lives to him. But as the scriptures remind us from Ezekiel here, the fact that the wicked bring death upon themselves. They have a choice, right? Either to receive God or to reject Him. And as we know, many reject Him. And this is what we read last week when we talked about wide is a gate. Wide is a road that leads to destruction. And narrow is a gate that leads to everlasting life. As we get into the first example that, that Peter gave us, he says that God brought judgment on the angels. If God brought judgment on the angels, why wouldn't he bring judgment upon people for their wicked acts? See, this is one thing that people don't want to acknowledge, right? They want to, be, they want to have their sin excused. They want to live in unrighteousness and in, in, in filth and, and, in, 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 and in their evil ways. But one thing that we know is if God did not spare the angels, the fallen angels, why would he, sp why would he spare people? You know, when we look at the event of when the fallen angels or Saint and Satan was cast out of heaven, one thing that we know is that in Revelation 12, 14, it reveals to us that Satan took a third of the angels with him. Imagine that. A third of the angels were taken with, were, 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 were cast out of heaven. 
I mean, to think how many angels, how many demons there are, how many angels God created. Did you know that angels are, a, there's a fixed amount of angels? In other words, angels aren't being created and created and created. There's just a fixed amount of angels. And we know that according to the scriptures, a third of them were cast into heaven. It says that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them into hell. One thing that we know about this event, why is it that this happened? Why is it that Satan was cast onto earth? And why is it that his demons were also cast there? If we look at Isaiah, and if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 14, we can read about this. In Isaiah chapter 14, it talks about the fall of Lucifer. It talks about why Satan and his demons were cast out of heaven. In verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts or to the lowest depths of the pit. We see here something about Satan is his pride. His pride and his rebellion against God. We see here that he also wanted to be what? Worshipped as God. And we see here that, you know what, it was all about him. And as we see here, these are the five eyes that have to do with pride. And as we think about this, as we think about the fall of Lucifer, we know that as he fell, as he was cast out of heaven, we know that he took a third of the angels with him. And these angels that were with him were followers of him, were angels that, that also came in rebellion to God, that also had this mindset. And as we think about this, we know that God cast him into earth, but according to 2 Peter, he also tells us that some were cast into hell. When we think about this, we think to ourselves, you know what, we know hell, but when we look at the Greek translation of this word hell, it means Tartarus. This is a special location in hell. I want you to understand that this place that he references here, it's actually the deepest part of hell. And he shares with us that there are some angels that were cast into the deepest part of hell. As we think about this, we think to ourselves, where, why would they have been cast into hell? Why would they have been cast into the deepest part of hell? And for the false teachers that talk or that preach that there is no hell, we can see, you know, from these scriptures that there is one. But I want to just give you a thought. And this thought I I'm going, to give, I'm going to reveal to you, I don't agree with this thought, but it's a thought or it's a teaching that's out there. And it's important for you to understand what people talk about out there. And there are many scholars and other teachers that believe this to be true, but me personally, I do not believe this to be the truth. But it's important because it is taught out there. And let us turn to Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, 
We're going to begin to read in verse 1. And what we're reading about is the teaching here about the wickedness that came onto the earth. And this was in the days of Noah. In verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man, man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The teaching that is out there is that these sons of God were actually fallen angels. And what they did is they came and cohabitated and had sex with the women that were on earth. And because of this, they created these giants, these men that were huge and, and these men that were mighty. And this is what many believe are those that Second Peter is talking about. That these fallen angels, because of the act that they did, they were thrown into Tartarus, which is in the lowest and deepest part of hell. Jude also mentions this about fallen angels who did not keep their proper domain. And because they didn't keep their proper domain, that they were cast into this location, changed, no longer able to come out of it. See, I have difficulty with this teaching, and I want you to understand why. See, angels are spirits, right? Fallen angels, angels, they're spirits. And they do not have bodies. And because they do not have bodies, how is it that they can cohabitate? And how is it that they can come together and have intercourse with women? See, the Lord says in Matthew twenty-two thirty 30, that angels are sexless. In other words, they don't have sex. You know, they can come into men and women and cause them to do this, but they themselves cannot do this. See, angels were never created to have physical relationships with women. So I cannot accept this school of thought. And you may be wondering, well, who are these sons of God that are, that are written here in Genesis who is it that Moses is writing about or the Spirit of God is revealing to us? I believe that these are the sons of Seth. Do you remember how Cain and Abel? Cain was a wicked one. Abel was what? The one that was righteous, that believed and had faith in the Lord. Well, remember, he was executed. He was killed by who? By his brother. And so who would continue the godly line? If we only had one line, which was the line of Cain, who would continue the line after that? It was God that brought Seth into the world. This was a child of Adam and Eve. And this is who I believe is being referenced here. These are the sons of God. So as we continue back, as we continue back with, with uh, 2 Peter, as he's talking about these angels who were cast out of heaven, these fallen angels, we also know that Others were cast into hell. 
into the lowest parts of hell, which is Tartarus. And these are awaiting their judgment. As to why the Lord sent them into Tartarus, we know one reason they were sent there, right? Is because of sin. Whatever that sin may have been, you know what? We'll find out later. But as far as what we know today, we just know that it is sin. And we're going to leave it there. But as I mentioned to you earlier, the fact that God did not spare the angels, if he didn't spare them and he judged them, why wouldn't he judge the false teachers and their followers? And this is a message that Peter wants to share with us. The second example that Peter gives to us is no one. Let's turn back to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read in verse 5. It, Peter writes here, he says, when it comes to God, that he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. What we have here is that Peter is saying, you know what? These teachers, they're already guilty, right? They're not going to get away with their sin. Their followers are not going to get away with their wickedness. Just as the ancient world did not get away with their ungodly behavior. We know that the judgment was given, right? We know that the people were guilty of sin. And one thing that we know, and it was in verse 3 of Genesis 6, is that the Lord gave them 120 years to repent. There is the extension of God's mercy and God's grace. But one thing that we know when it comes to these teachers, I mean, with these people of the ancient world, we know that they were wicked and sinful. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 and read about this. In Genesis chapter 6, In verse 5, it says there, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord says, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. You know, as we look at this, we see that the Lord was sorry, right? That the people chose sin over him. You know, the Lord was sorry that, you know what, that, that these people decided to live in wickedness and to go after, you know what, the things of their sinful hearts. And because of this, God had to bring judgment, right? If God is a just God, then he has to what, judge sin for what it is. He can't just allow sin to, to, to do as it wishes without bringing judgment upon it. And so we know that the judgment that he brought was the flood. God judged the world by water. Everyone was destroyed by the flood, but eight people survived. And who were the eight people? It was Noah and his sons and their wives. Okay, Noah and his wife were two, and then the three sons and in-laws, which created the eight people. 
See, when God talks about sparing these people, he's also reminding us that he brought judgment upon the world. And the world was judged because of their sin. Many people are saying, you know what, I could do sin, right? I, I enjoy it and I'm going to do it. And you know what, and I'm going to party with the devil in heaven. You know what, little do they know the things that they're doing. Little do they know the judgment that awaits them. The judgment, just as these people that were destroyed, as we read from Galatians, how they reap corruption, they reap death, they reap ruin. These false teachers and their followers and sinners are going to receive the judgment that comes from God. See, many false teachers come into the church and they deny the Lord. They exploit the people. They deceive the people. And those that follow them are just as guilty and their judgment is coming. See, no one's going to escape judgment for your behavior. And one thing that we know is that they're already guilty. And this is what Peter is reminding us. They're already guilty as he told us there in verse 3. And it's important for us to know that every single one of us or every single person that does not come to the faith in Jesus Christ will receive judgment because their sins are not forgiven. The third example that we're going to be going over, let's go back to 2 Peter. And let's begin to read in verse 6. It says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. One thing that we know about Sodom and Gomorrah is that they were judged, why? Because of their ungodly behavior. One thing that we know is that Sodom, according to Genesis 13, 13, they were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. What was it that they practiced? I think many of us have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know the things that, that they did, but they practiced filthy and unlawful behavior. The other thing that they practiced was unnatural sex. And this unnatural sex was sodomy, and it was homosexual behavior. And this is what they practiced. And it's important for us to understand this as we live in these days. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 19, let's begin to read in verse 1. It says there, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. So two angels come to Sodom, and Lot knows that they're angels, and he goes to them, and he greets them. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in your servants, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted, meaning Lot, strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, 
the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all people from every quarter surrounded the house. So we're talking about the people, the residents, the men of Sodom. They surrounded the house where these angels were. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. You know what, they were, what this means? It means they wanted to have sex with these angels. This is what the men of Sodom wanted to do. They wanted to have sex with them. And so verse 6 says, So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is a reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps ask, acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. But the man, the angels reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. What we, hear, what we have here is just the depravity of man, how wicked man has become. We see the fact that they want to have, you know what, just sex with these angels. They are just so filled with filth. See, what we have here is sick behavior, that they can't control themselves. They're out of control, these men. And they just want to do whatever they can to satisfy their flesh. And so Peter reminds us, what is their judgment? You know what judgment happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? I think we've all heard of it, right? It's what? Fire and brimstone. This is the judgment that they would receive. And we know that God did not spare any of them that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. The only ones that he spared were Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. And that was when the angels went to take them. And we know that their husbands of the two daughters did not even want to go with them because they themselves were so caught up in this sin. Peter says, just as the judgment of Sodom was coming, so will the judgment come to those false teachers as, fall, as well as their followers, as, as, as well as those that walk in sin. I do want to share this with you because it's important for us as Christians to do one thing. You and I, when it comes to the sinners, we love the sinners, don't we? Isn't this why God came? Didn't God say that he loved the world? And because he loved the world, he sent his son into the world, right? See, we are also to love the sinners. You and I are to love those that practice sin. But we don't love their behavior. We don't love what they practice. We don't condone it. See, you and I are to love the sinner, but we don't love the sin. It's just like the Lord. You know what? The Lord hates sin. And he also hates the sin that they do. But he doesn't hate them. He loves them. And his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We also read this in Ezekiel, did we not? That he desires that the wicked would turn from their ways. 
I talk about the times of Noah, and I talk about the times of Lot. And I truly believe that we are also living in these days. The days that we have are very similar to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. When God judged them, this world thinks that it will also escape the judgment. And as we're reminded today that no one will escape this judgment. See, when it comes to our nation today and the world around us, we know that the people and authorities and leaders of these nations, they are accepting sin. They are tolerating sin. They are participating in sin. And they are calling sin good. See, this is the world that we live in today. The world that calls evil good and good evil. They call what we stand for evil. They don't want to accept the truth of God. Even their conscience reveals to them that their behavior is wrong. But they don't want to accept it. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to be convicted by the Spirit of God. Today, this nation, as well as the world around us, will be judged. We will all be judged. Or I should say, the nation and the world will be judged for their tolerance, their acceptance, and their participation of sin. When it comes to the church, understand one thing. The church has also come up into a place of tolerating and participating this, in this behavior. We see when it comes to homosexuality, the fact that churches have accepted teachers and leaders and pastors as that participate in this behavior, that live out these lifestyles. We know that the church has allowed sin to come into the church and not address it. You know, they give you what? Feel-good messages for those that have itching ears. And we know that churches are packed out because the teachers don't talk about sin. They don't talk about hell. And this is important for us to know. That when it comes to the word of God, we have to give you the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God includes judgment. Includes the fact that there is judgment for those that walk in wickedness. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we are reminded of this judgment. It says there in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What I'm talking about, what I was sharing with you, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without, so that they are without excuse. 
Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged their natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the unnatural use of, their, of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves a penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrusting, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is where we live today. This is the nation that we're living, uh, this is the world that we live in today. This is what they are practicing. And little do they know that the judgment of God will fall upon them. Many people want to say, but my God wouldn't do this. While you don't serve the true and living God, you serve an idol that you've created in your own mind. A God that is like you. A God that thinks like you. A God that is like you. But this is not the God that we serve. This is the true God. And these are the righteous judgments of God. Again, we love the sinner, but we don't love the sin. One thing that we know, as Peter says, that he cannot allow the ungodly to go unpunished. And if he did this, then he would not be just. How is it that you and I can escape the judgment of God? And I didn't want to leave the message as I've been sharing because it does seem like a fire and brimstone message. But it's important that we understand that there is judgment for sin. See, the good news of the message today is about grace. See, Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God's grace is available to all who want to receive it. See, God doesn't desire that the wicked should perish. God desires that the wicked would turn from their ways. See, but God's grace can only be extended to those that want to receive it, to those that humble themselves before the Lord. We know that God's word tells us, tells us that he resists the proud but gives, gives grace to who? He gives grace to the humble. We know that God's grace is a gift from God. 
And how is this grace received and how is this gift received? It is received through faith in his son. See, this is extended to all of us. When we look at the Noah and Lot, Noah received God's grace. Lot received God's grace. Why is it that they received the grace of God? Because they placed their faith in, their son, in, in, in the Lord. When we look at the life of Noah, Noah is referred to a man that was just. This is in Genesis 6, 9. Noah is referred to a, as a man that walked with God, which is also in Genesis 6, 9. Noah is referred to as a man that was obedient to God, which was in Genesis 6.22. And Noah is referred to a man that was righteous, which is in Genesis 7.1. Peter gives us additional insight when it comes to Noah. He calls him a preacher of righteousness. When we think about this word, a preacher of righteousness, it means that, you know what? That he was speaking. He was sharing the righteousness that comes in God. See, one thing that we know is that we can share with so many people about the righteousness of God, about, you know, surrendering ourselves with, to God, but not many people want to receive it. But one thing we know about Moses, for 120 years, he was sharing this with the people. None of them received it. But one thing that we know about Noah is that as the Lord stated about him was that he walked with God. See, one thing about Noah is that not only were his words righteous, but also his behavior. See, we can't say one thing and do another, just like the false teachers, right? What do the false teachers do? They preach one thing, but yet their behavior is what? Another thing. But yet, when it came to Noah, he was very consistent when it came to his life, to his walk. But one thing about Noah, it wasn't the righteousness of Noah that saved him. You know whose righteousness saved Noah? It was the Lord's righteousness. How can you and I receive the righteousness of God? When we place our faith in Him. See, it is God's righteousness that is upon us. In other words, it comes upon us. It is now on our account. When God the Father sees us, He no longer sees you and I as sinners. But you know how he sees us? He sees us as his son because the righteousness of Christ has been put upon us when we place our faith in him. Our faith now gives us that righteousness, his righteousness. It's not ours. How many of us can say we are righteous by our behavior? I don't think any of us can say, you know what, I'm good, I'm awesome, I'm perfect. I don't think any of us can say this. But one thing that we know is that when we are in Christ, we can say that. One thing about Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And we know one thing that Lot did is he loved Sodom. When, you know what, when Lot and Abraham became so wealthy, they had so much cattle and herd, that the land that they were both together in, they couldn't dwell together because they were just huge they multiplied. And so Abraham says, okay, Lot, what do you want? You know what? Even though God had given Abraham the land, right? Lot, uh, Abraham still gave Lot the opportunity to choose. What do you want? And you know what Lot chose? 
He looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, you know what? I want that over there. See, one thing about Lot is that when he went into Egypt, he loved Egypt. And when he came out of Egypt, he still loved the things of Egypt. And when he saw Sodom, he says, you know what? I want what's over there. And one thing that we know about Lot is that when he went close to Sodom, he pitched his tent outside of Sodom. He did that. But as time went on, you know where Lot ended up? He ended up living in Sodom. But how is it that Lot was spared? You know what? When it comes to Lot, we can take great comfort in this. See, because Peter gives us greater insight when it comes to Lot. Peter tells us that Lot was righteous. How was it that Lot was made righteous in an unrighteous world? He was made righteous because of his faith in God. It tells us that Lot was also very oppressed. In other words, he was weighed down and burdened by the sin that was going on around him. And finally, Peter also tells us that Lot was tormented. In other words, he was greatly troubled by the sin that was happening around us. Even though this was going on, and even though he lived in this Sodom and Gomorrah, this ungodly world, he still believed in God. He still had faith in God. And because of this, he was rescued from the judgment that came by fire. See, Lot was rescued only because of his faith in Christ. And this is what spares us. The choice that we make will spare us from judgment. And this is the message that Peter is giving us today. See, when we look at the life of Lot, even though he lived in Sodom, he still displayed actions that proved that he believed in God. When we think about the fact that he tried to rescue the angels, what does that share about Lot? That he could still see things, right? The spiritual things, and he still recognized Lot. The fact that he, he went to his daughters, he had four daughters. I don't know if you know that, but only two were spared. He told them, you know what? You need to get out of this land. God is bringing judgment. He still believed. And finally, when God told him to get out and don't turn back, did Lot turn back? His wife turned back, but he still believed. And it was because of this belief that God delivered him, that he was not destroyed by fire. I want to give you one final scripture, or one final verse. We're going to read in verse 9, and we're going to close with this. It says in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. When we read these verses, here in 2 Peter, we, talk, we saw about the judgment that God has upon the wicked, the ungodly, the false teachers and their followers. Peter is quick to remind us of the fact that God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. See, one thing that we need to understand 
is that you and I that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you and I will not experience this type of judgment. One thing that we know is that the world will no longer be judged by water, but the next judgment that comes upon this world is going to be won by fire. We also know that the wrath of God is coming upon this world. And you may think to yourself, but you know what? When it talks about temptations, he's not talking about, you know, judgment or trials or, 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 or this ungodly world. Actually, when you look at the word temptation in the Greek, I want you to know what that means. It doesn't mean like being tempted into sin, but the word means adversity. It means that God will deliver us from adversity. And what we're talking about is a world that is filled with sin and the coming judgment of God. See, one thing that God knows how to do is he knows how to deliver us out of judgment. Didn't he do this with Noah when he brought judgment upon the world? Did he not take Noah out when he brought judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Did he not take Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah? See, if we want to escape the judgment of God, then we must place our faith in Jesus Christ, just as Lot and Noah did. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. And when it comes to us, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, none of us will face this judgment. I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And I'm sorry I lied. I had one more scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For those that are in Christ, for those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is for us. And remember, your faith must, be, must also be backed up by your walk. Many people say, I place my faith in Christ, but yet you walk contrary to that. It's important that we understand that when you place your faith in Christ, when you believe, that means that your heart changes, your life changes, and now you live according to the ways of the Lord. Verse 9 says there, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath. Do I get an amen for that? None of us that have placed our faith in Christ have been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. God, just like Noah and just like Lot, will spare us from the coming judgment to live throughout eternity in his presence. When, it talks, when he talked about hell, he created hell for what? For the fallen angels. But he also, uh, he also places those that reject him and want nothing to do with him. This is what the scriptures tell us. And this is what we have today. The Lord is telling us that none of us have been appointed to wrath if you surrender yourself to him. This is why we truly believe in the rapture of the church. You know, I bring up the rapture and I've been bringing it up much because I truly believe that we will see this in our lifetime. 
The rapture of the church is when the Lord takes his church, his people, all peoples that place their faith in Jesus Christ out of this world. Once he takes us out, this is when the tribulation period begins. This is when the wrath of God will fall upon this world. Many people don't believe that the rap in the rapture of the church or that the church is going to take out or that the Lord is going to take out the church. But we have the illustrations from Noah and from Lot. When God brought his wrath upon the world, did he not spare and take out his children outside or take them out of the judgment of the wrath of God? See, he's going to do the same for us. Why would he allow us to go through the tribulation to experience the wrath of God? But he saved us from it. This is what the scriptures tell us. This is why we believe in the rapture of the church. This is why we believe that it happens before the tribulation period. And this is for us. You know, God, the Lord will be coming soon. He will be coming soon in the cloud. You will hear the voice like an archangel. You will hear the trumpet of God. And his children will be caught up into heaven. This is what takes place. And this takes place before the rapture, I mean before the tribulation period. And you can read this. Or let's look at this. Okay, I lied a second time. I apologize. Since we're in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Many say, but the word rapture isn't in there. Did you know that in Latin, the word caught up? It is rapturo. This is what that is. And this is where we get the word rapture from. It is plain in the scriptures. And as he goes on to say that we have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation. None of us will experience the wrath of God that falls upon this world during the seven-year tribulation. But just like Noah and just like Lot, how can you escape this judgment, the wrath of God during the tribulation period by faith in Jesus Christ? Know this, that we always get what we deserve. You reap of the flesh, I mean, you sow of the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow of the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. Faith in Christ brings us this everlasting life. And with this, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord, for reminding us today of the judgments, Lord, that come upon the ungodly, the wicked, those that reject you, Lord, those that want nothing to do with you, Lord. But we were also reminded as we close today, Lord, on the fact that none of your children, Lord, have been appointed to wrath, but to salvation. Lord, your message is not a doom and gloom message, but your message is one of life. A message that reminds us that though we are sinners, 
we can still have fellowship with you. And this fellowship can only come when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here, as we always give an opportunity for you to make things right with the Lord, to commit or to recommit your lives to Him, we know one thing, that it wasn't Noah's righteousness, it wasn't Lot's righteousness, it was the righteousness of Christ that came upon these men. If you want the same righteousness, then place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to do this, then raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? For those of you that raised your hand, I want you to stand up and we're going to say a prayer. We're going to say a simple prayer, a prayer of faith, as you mean it with your heart. As you say these words, may they be heartfelt. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, you love me. You came to die for me, for my sins, so that I can live. I open my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I'm tired of my sin. I don't want to live in it no more. I want to live a life that is with you. And this is promised when I give my life to you, when I come in faith to you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I love you, Lord. Help me. Empower me. By your spirit. To live a life that is pleasing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.